0: God, we just pray over uh, this baby church. Thank you that it's yours. Uh, Thank you that you built it and you love Renew. You love us so much. Um, And I see that every time. And um, thank you for this family you've created. And so, yeah, walk with us. Lead us. You're the shepherd. And we just look to you to take us to where you want us to go. Um, In the places that are difficult, um, help us not to... Uh, focus on ourselves, but to continue looking out. And so, um, yeah, we think about um, people that we can relate to a little bit more in India, our brothers and sisters who wrestle with this. Um, every time they go to church, they don't know if it's going to be there. They don't know if they're going to get beat up, but they decide that it's worth being family. Um, and then we think about what it looks like to worship and pray and hear your word. Um, after such a tragedy of losing sons and brothers and dads um, and whole families um, and a, an un- unborn uh, baby. So we remember our brothers and sisters in Texas too. And we ask that you would comfort them and that they would know we care. And many, the church around this world cares, uh, their extended family. Yeah. Be with us today as we look into your word. Encourage our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going through the book of Matthew. Um, It's made such a difference to see our small groups engage in Scripture. If you're not in a small group, we'd love for you to join us. Uh, We look at the passages before Sunday, and we just have uh, the space to discuss and ask questions and explore the text I actually decided to divide up our text uh, from last week. So we're only doing this chunk, which probably some of you skipped through, to be honest, to get to the good stuff. But this part, this first part, really is the guidelines on how to interpret the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. When we understand these principles, we understand the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which is an incredibly important piece of, of text. Okay, here we go. Uh, This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. If you have your Bibles, you can take it out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of God. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. All right, we're going to focus in and spend probably half our sermon on this one word, fulfilled. What does it mean when Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the writing? And I remember the last time I talked about this word, I actually got so frustrated in children's ministry because I felt like God was showing me incredible things. It, you know, like this morning at four o'clock, I started thinking about this again and I couldn't go back to sleep. Other times, I'm just staring at a wall, just thinking about this concept, trying to grasp it and articulate it to you. I attempted that six weeks ago in children's ministry, this last final point of what it means to be fulfilled, and I was just grieving deeply that I couldn't articulate it, and I literally just started weeping. And they're like, in the middle of my prayer, they're looking around, like Grace was like, he's, he's crying. Why are you crying, bro? I'm like, I just can't explain what I want to explain. And then in the big service, I skipped it. But I feel like I can finally say what I've been trying to, what I've been thinking about for six weeks. And if you don't understand it, that's okay. You can ask me later. So here's one of the concepts of what it means for fulfillment. And this is the perspective of the prophet, the man on the left. He's looking out, and God's showing him a picture in in this prophecy we're going to look at that Matthew refers to of his current circumstance, where he is in that moment. So laced on top of that is Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. But he sees it as one moment in one picture. And so if you look at this text, we have um, Micah saying, Marshal your troops. The city is going to be on siege. And he's speaking about Israel right now. Uh, they will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with the rod. Basically, Israel is going to be uh, defeated. But then second peak, second mountaintop, if you will, the second coming of Jesus. Uh, Bethlehem, you're small among the clans of Judah, but out of you will come one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are of old from ancient times. All right, and that's a section of that is grafted into Matthew. And then we have the second coming of Christ. Uh, Israel will be abandoned, and that 's kind of the period we 're living in, but she will labor bear a son oh sorry that 's the four hundred years between the testimonies, and the rest of his brothers will return and and join the israelites and that 's kind of speaking of uh, the second coming. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord. they will live securely. For then, his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, so this is speaking about the second coming, and so in one one fail swoop, we have the prophet speak about his time a couple thousand years later, and x amount of years later, in, in like three paragraphs and what was annoying to me was like, how come he couldn 't color code this for us? You know why didn 't he say, "This is now, this is later, this is a lot later?" And and break it up. Why can't all the prophets break it up? Are they confused? Is God a bad communicator? Why did He lump it together? And then here's the concept that I've been thinking about for a long time. I think I think no other commentators have said this. So I just put. I could be wrong. Okay, but I think when God was giving Micah this vision, He was showing Micah his perspective that maybe God sees time in a singularity and that things are laced on top of each other, like a, a portrait or a picture. And so, Micah, we are parsing this out like in time, but maybe God sees time in a different way. So let me give you an example. Let's say this is time, right? And each one of these little parts are different incidences in time. And maybe instead of God seeing time in like, you know, 5000 AD, uh, BC, zero, BC, you know, so on, 2017, maybe he sees it like this. And it's one moment and one picture. And why is that important as we talk about the fulfillment of the law? Well, when I'm trying to make sense of the Old Testament, there's and and what it meant for Jesus to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, there's things that I kind of get, like Jesus being a symbol of uh a per, like things symbolizing him from the past that he then becomes and embodies. So um, in the tabernacle, there's um, in the holy of holies in the temple, there's like. A vine painted on the wall. There's a lampstand. There's a water basin. There's the altar, and Jesus says, "I am the true vine. I am the light of the world. I am living water." Um, and then there's people who are kind of like shadows of Jesus that show us who he is, but fall short, so that we also long for him. Like King David, he's such a great king, and and and. And there's scripture that says it's going to be like this king and this kingdom. But then we see our hero fall into adultery and murder. And in his weakness, we long for a greater king or a greater high priest or a greater lawgiver like Moses or a greater prophet. But what I can't make sense of, what took me a long time to think through, was timelines and events. Where Jesus relives the history of Israel, where uh, they experience these kids being killed by the Egyptians because they felt threatened by the by the Jews, and then when Jesus is born, all these kids are dying around him because Herod feels threatened, and then and then the and then he goes into Egypt and comes out of Egypt, kind of reliving Israel's story. Jesus does, and then after Israel comes out of uh, the Jews come out of Egypt on Mount Sinai, Moses gives the law to govern the people and to, to inaugurate a nation, and then Jesus does the same thing on this mountain. And so here's what I'm thinking. What I'm thinking is that it's like an artist, right? He's painting, this is Mike's painting, sorry for dropping it again, and the first thing he does is there's a white canvas, and he starts outlining what he wants to draw. And you can't quite figure out what that looks like yet, if you're just watching him. But then he starts filling it. And first he fills it in this kind of brash, um, large color way, and then the details. And then everything kind of starts taking shape. Now what I what I see in the Old Testament, what I'm starting to see as God is giving me and us maybe the lens in which he gave the prophets, is that it's kind of like this tube, right? If you look at it this way, but but we can't most of the time. So we just see it in this linear way with these incidences that could be years or decades or even centuries separated. But imagine kind of inserted into this tube are these lenses or glasses that are stained or different pixels on this glass, right? And one's this One's like at the very beginning where God kills an animal and uses his skin to clothe Adam and Eve when they're walking out of the garden. Like, what's going on there? And then another one is um, Abraham being promised descendants as far as the scar, uh, as many as the stars in the sky. And then we have Moses and Israel being delivered and then this kingdom being established. And then these prophets and these people who are representing Christ. And I kind of think about all of these like thousands of slices of li- little lenses with little specks and lines and and colors and it doesn't make sense on its own but you turn it and you see Jesus when you look through all of them at once you start seeing this outline of Jesus through the events of Israel through the laws of Israel through through many christs and then of of Israel representing him and then Jesus comes in into this outline, into this frame that God set up, all of these pointers, and he animates it. And he says, it was all about me, right? That's what it it talks about at the end of John. He takes his disciples up after uh, the resurrection, and he walks through all of scripture with them and says, it was all about me. He turns this timeline, and they see through all of these events at once, and it's It's Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus, the whole thing. The symbols, the kings, the prophets, the events are a picture of Christ. All right, oh my gosh, that was eight weeks of work and thinking. That was like staring at walls and waking up at 4 a.m. I hope I'm right. Um, Here's some, so when we look specifically at what it means to fulfill the law. This is from commentary, so <laughs> more reliable. Okay, I think I'm right, but we'll see. I usually don't put out experimental thoughts, but I don't know, that one was fun, right? So when, when it says that Jesus fulfills the law, one of the ways we could think of it is that he fills it with meaning. And he fills it with meaning by speaking to the spirit of the law, what the law was intended to do versus the letter of the law. And that's where the Pharisees and Jesus had a lot of uh, differences, right? The Pharisees would talk about what does it look like to keep this law in its exact form or even be like a thousand miles away from breaking the law. And Jesus is like, okay, you didn't murder someone, but what about your heart? What about the spirit of the law? Do you hate your brother? Okay, you didn't commit adultery, but are you lusting after somebody? And so he's going straight to their hearts. And that's why at the last verse... He says, you have to have a righteousness that's greater than the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees did the right actions with the wrong heart. And Jesus is saying, you need to have the right heart and do the right actions. And then he makes this audacious claim. Jesus does. He says, for very truly I say to you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter Or the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now think about how large the statement is. The earth you're sitting on is more temporal than scripture. That the Bible will outlast the earth. That the the earth is going to break down, shatter, and dissipate, before the Bible, I mean, either you believe that or you don't, because there's not a lot of room for I'm going to pick and choose which scriptures I like. There's not a lot of room for this part might be false, but this part could be true. Not a lot of room for that. Do you believe in Jesus speaking about the Word of God? And I think when I look at scripture and I see it like this, what can I see? I feel like, and when I hear about scripture like that, I feel like there's this humility that grows um, that we need, right? Because we live in a generation where we've made a hundred films about ourselves on Snapchat, where we're the star. We've modeled for a thousand different photos, and we've exported it to our friends and our family and into the internet, and. No other generation's done that. Life is more about us. The camera faces us more than any other generation. But I look through this lens and I see Jesus through centuries and promises fulfilled. And I feel humbled (laughs) because he's the main thing, he's the real deal. Our names will be forgotten, our stories will be lost, we'll become meaningless. But Jesus has, has been a major figure for, for 20 centuries, and he'll continue to be so. You know, another part of putting our faith in Scripture is that we see some things clearly now, but there's, another, there's a huge part of Scripture that we haven't seen yet. And so as we look back at the past and see all the ways that Jesus have come through these prophecies and these events, we then look forward into the future and say, do we believe that He's coming back and reigning the earth again and that we could put our faith and our trust in Him? There's a smallness of us. There's a faith in God's future. And there's a focus on Christ when we believe this. And then he drops down to, the, to our level. Anyone who sets aside the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be great in the kingdom of heaven. You know, the, you can do the right thing with the wrong motives, with the wrong heart, like the Pharisees did. But if you have the right heart, you will do the right things. So when you really believe in Scripture, it'll, it will impact how you live and how you speak to others about living as well. So is, is the Bible true? Is it your truth? Or do you have all these other competing truths? When I examine my life and see the places where I fall short from Scripture what it says to me is that I actually believe another truth. When I feel conflicted, it's these two truths competing. Sometimes I see it right in front of me, and it's like this crossroad, and I pick one. But we can believe in Scripture that, for me, blows my mind, (laughs) or we could believe in ourselves and create our own purpose and philosophies, or we could believe in another human that will go 80 years and we'll see if they were right about some things. Or we could believe in our society and culture and all the messages they bring to the table, which is really a collective group of other people. I hope that putting our faith in God means taking His Word and marveling at it. Seeing His starting to see how god takes an empty canvas called time and he starts drawing on it and at the end of the day there's a picture he's painting that he sees and we don't he's in the to us he's in the middle of the of the of the drawing we see parts of it coming together but he has an amazing canvas that he's excited to share it with us. And, and our, la- our life can be layered in there to reflect him, to point to him, to have people long for him. Um, you know, I, I try my best to obey what the Bible says and I fall short, but I hope that I could just kind of be like one of those Old Testament symbols um, or events. I want to be a pointer to Jesus. I hope that, in the moments where you feel like I listen well and have shepherded you and have led you or taught you scripture, that all of that would point to Jesus as the greater shepherd, the greater teacher the the better high priest and I hope that in the ways that I fall short and I put it in front of you, there might be disappointment, but more so there would be a longing for Jesus who is perfect and good and and will walk with you. I hope I could be a speck or a pixel or a line in eternity. Where as people are, as God shows all of us his magnificent painting filled in to details. I could be like, oh, like that, that little speck that helped paint this, this eternal picture of who he is. I'm on there. I want you to be on there. I want Renew to be on there. I think that's the only thing that matters here, guys. Father, we come to you and uh, we marvel at you that you would take um, all these different events and people in history, the Old Testament, the laws, and even our lives, and press it together to show how great you are. Press it together to paint who Jesus is in really detailed ways. And then you would come and animate everything you talked about, all of those symbols, those events. I hope that there are moments today where we would humble ourselves and look outside of our really short lives. That our gifts and talents and accomplishments, our failures, would all look small in the vision of eternity and that we would just long to be loved by this great God. That this God who sees time as one moment, that a thousand years are one day to you, that you would reach down and love us, that you would reach down and give each of us purpose, that you would die for our sins and allow us to live with you for eternity and allow our lives to have meaning when we're in your storyline. I pray for those who are wrestling with depression, anxiety, who feel lost and purposeless and worthless, I pray that today you would give us hope because we stop looking at ourselves for those things. We stop being disappointed in ourselves. Um, We stop trying to fabricate meaning or ethics. But we say, man, God, you have something really amazing that you're doing across millenniums. And I want to be a part of that. I want to teach that. I want to live that. I want to reflect you. pray that we would desire this. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to just take a few minutes to um, observe communion. Um, The grape juice represents Jesus' blood poured for us, and um, the bread represents his body broken for us. And I just remember... um, that he came to fulfill the Old Testament, all of those promises about sacrifice and forgiveness. I'm surprised that he would be the one to lay down his life for us. But as we take it today, would we enter back in, for some of us, his promises, enter back into his purpose? Would we feel small and make him great? All right, if we could stand and take communion together.